Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's a lovely day outside, isn't it? Um, we would like, to, if you're a visitor here this morning, you're very welcome. We would also like to welcome the American team. <laughs> you're very welcome to Living Hope Belfast. Um, we're so excited to see what we're going to do in our community this week with our baseball camp. So we're going to start our service with a time of praise and worship. So if everyone would like to stand, let's praise and worship our God this morning. Amen. God. 
church you may take your seats as we come before the communion this morning praise God what a lovely time of worship and praise this morning Jesus Christ, our living hope. Jesus is alive this morning. No matter what you feel, no matter how you feel, no matter what your circumstances are this morning, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Praise God. This morning we're going to gather around the table to remember the one who remembered us. And you will all have one of these wee pods. I would like you to do something this morning. Lift this wee pod up in your hand and hold it in your hand. Right now. This is just made up of a bit of plastic, a bit of foil, inside it there's a bit of bread or a bit of a wafer and, and a, a little drop of juice. That's all it is. There's nothing supernatural about it, nothing spooky about it. It's just a bit of plastic, foil, bread and juice. That's all it is. But what this thing represents is the most amazing thing in the history of the universe. Praise God. It represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. It represents three things. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the third thing is this. It represents the love that God has for you and for me. The love of God is an amazing thing. Don't ever think this morning that God doesn't love you. God's love is an amazing thing. It acts 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus through, was given to us through the love of God. The love of God is personal. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of God is personal and it's for you this morning. The love of God is eternal. It will never fail. It never goes, it never loses any of its, its powerfulness. Romans 8 and 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor any else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing in this world, no circumstances in your life will ever be able to separate you from the love that God has for you. And God's love has to be known and experienced. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. Power with all the saints. That's an amazing statement. And to know this love, to know the love that passes knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God, the love of God. And you know, the love of God speaks about no matter who we are the love of God though we are com incomplete God loves you and I completely though we are imperfect and we're all imperfect we all have made mistakes he loves us perfectly though we may feel lost and without compass God's love encompasses us completely he loves every one of us even those of us who are flawed rejected awkward sorrowful, broken, or even filled with fear. God loves every single one of us this morning. And that's why we praise him. That's why we come around the table. And we thank God for his great and wonderful love to us this morning. And we gather around the table this morning. And we invite all of you who know and love the Lord this morning. Remember, you're holding in your hand something that represents the great love of our God. And never feel that you're unloved. Maybe you might feel there's no, no, not many people on earth who might feel love you. But listen, church, this morning, you're holding in your hand something that represents the great, almighty, never failing love of God. And that's what He has for you and I this morning. We gather around the word that we're in the table, and we invite all who know and love the Lord to partake of the bread and the wine. And we read from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received, verse 23, For I have received from the Lord that which also I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask them, is there someone here this morning who would like to give thanks for the bread?
Praise the name, Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank the Lord, Jesus. Thank the Lord that we've been reminded as we come around your table of your love for each and every one of us. Oh, Lord, we've been reminded of the sacrifice that you made of yourself, that you laid down your life at the cross, that we could have life and have it to the full. Oh, Lord, as we've reminded of these emblems, as we take of the bread and drink of the cup, Lord, we remember the love that you Thank showed Lord, to Jesus. the world. Yes, amen. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what you've done for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a New Testament, new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Praise God. Praise. Or someone else would like to give thanks for the cup this morning. The cup that represents the precious shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blood that cleanses. The blood that, that is still flowing and still cleansing today. Bless God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this privilege of remembering you around the table. We thank you for your great love and your mercy and your grace that has brought us right through to today. And we leave the remainder of the service before you. We pray that your name would be blessed, that the Holy Spirit will have freedom to move. And Lord, just glorify the name of Jesus this morning in our midst. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Church, if you don't like to stand, let's um, worship this morning again. I fix my eyes upon the cross. I'm reaching out with all I've got. I'm letting go to start a
You may take your seats. Just as I was singing the line to that song, You Are My Peace Within the Storm, I was reminded of a verse in Psalm 107 that I was reading this morning in my devotions, and I believe is for somebody or for a few people, and it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. And as I read that this morning, the promises that God makes when we're in the storm, one, as we've sung, he is the peace. He is with us. We do not need to fear. He will guide us, and he leads us to our desire, to the desired destination that he has for us. And we should take encouragement from that this morning. If we are in the middle of a storm, if we're in the middle of trouble or distress, let's cry out to the Lord. He is our peace within the storm this morning. Let's just pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Father, we are gathered in your house with your people. We thank you, Father, as you've worshipped, you've come around the table. Father, you are the midst, Father, here. Father, we know there are many people that are, are in, in difficult situations, storms at the moment. We pray for them, Father God, for, Father, you are the peace within the storm and the promise of your word is that you can bring the storm to calmness, to stillness. And Father, you can lead them out of the storm. You can be their guide. And we just thank you for that today. Pray for those that are unwell this morning, Lord. Father, we think of Dougie today, Father God. And Father, we thank you, Father God, that you looked after him and you've taken care of him, Father God. We pray for full healing, Father God, from these broken ribs. And we just pray, Father, uh, for those, Lord, in our uh, in our church and our congregation who are unwell at the moment father who maybe are here who, who, who can't be here pray father god you would just meet their need touch them and heal them today father god those are waiting for hospital tests father god we pray for them today father we pray for those waiting for results father father we thank you that you are the god that is interested in every aspect of our lives leading us through the storms and troubled waters that we go through in life father god but thank you, Father, above all that we face, Father, we can do what we've done this morning, which is we can worship you. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being in church today. We are looking forward to another great Sunday in church. Uh, this morning, there is a bonus because I am not preaching today. Well, I'm preaching tonight. I'm preaching tonight. But... It could work out tonight even better because some of the young people who have returned from Rock Nations and the Pulse Youth Camp, uh, they have been given the opportunity to share this evening. So the more of them that speak, the less that I speak. <laughs> so if you want to bribe a couple of young people with £10 or £20 to speak to prepare a long sermon this afternoon, then you can do that. Just before we introduce our, our guest this morning, don't forget that this Tuesday night is our prayer meeting. We're delighted that Pastor Al uh, from the American team here is going to be sharing on Tuesday night before we come and pray. There are many things to pray for, he says. So we encourage you to come and pray uh, on Tuesday evening with us. Uh, it was great to see the church full on Tuesday night. We are moving towards September. On Sunday, September the 4th, 
We are launching our new vision for the next three years. So, and we're going to be sharing with you on that Sunday some of the stuff that we're going to be doing, some of the stuff that God has laid on our hearts to do. But we need to pray. And so we want to gather the church together on these Tuesday evenings uh, to come and pray together as we pray for the many needs in our church and in our community. So that's Tuesday evening. As I said, tonight uh, is our service at 6.30 where we're continuing on with our highs and lows. We have had a brilliant summer so far. We've had the summer scheme week one for and 110 kids and a brilliant Sunday night. The last two weeks we've been at Rock Nations with the young people and the Pulse Youth Camp last week with uh, our young people joined together with uh, other young people from all over Ireland. And so this week is our final week of our summer program for the kids. And we are delighted uh, to have Breakaway Outreach with us, which are these three wonderful fellas uh, at the front, which they are part of. And uh, we give a warm welcome to Pastor Jimmy Latch, to Al, and to Matt. And we give you a very warm welcome to our church this morning. And they are going to be taking, I think it's 80 of our kids uh, from here this week uh, for a baseball camp. Uh, and they tie that in with a holiday Bible club outreach type uh, mission, which is fantastic uh, that they've just got this tool that they're using. We are delighted uh, that they are here and we are looking forward to a wonderful week. We are finishing it next Sunday night by inviting all the parents of all the kids again to church on Sunday evening and having a special night then. So this week is so important and we want you to pray for it. If you're involved, then we're looking forward to seeing uh, you down here. Breakaway Outreach simply does this. I went onto their website. I met with Jimmy yesterday for an hour and just, his heart is our heart. And I love that as we chatted for an hour yesterday just about the stuff that they do. He's going to share a little bit more of it. But uh, simply their vision is to see young people break away from everything and anything that stands in opposition to God's purpose for their life. What a fantastic vision that is. It's no wonder we've got them here, isn't it? Just a similar vision to us as church, to see young people rescued, to see them have that purpose uh, in their life and stuff. So Jimmy will be sharing uh, just a little bit more this morning as he comes and brings the word today. So I'm going to invite Jimmy. Would you come up, Jimmy, and come and share with us? <laughs> Okay, I think we're on here. We got power. All right. Good morning, church. Can't you see the headlines tomorrow? Preacher brings a bat and a Bible to the pulpit. American preacher. More about that in a little while. If you are, um, have a Bible on you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, I am so thankful to be here in Belfast. This is my fourth time in your lovely city i love I, I would love i was telling matt can we bring like the praise and worship band back home with us Is it? <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble with kim you know in in 2020 after we were here for the 2019 baseball camp we were starting to organize she was going to lead a team to come to tennessee usa where i'm from where all three of us are from and uh, bring a whole mission team from belfast and that the list seems to be getting bigger now. And they're telling me, shh, be, be quiet. We can't bring 75 people. <laughs> I, I, you got to bring the band. You got to bring the band. That's, 
please. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Larsh is my name, Pastor Al Miller, and Matt Burton does a ton of missions work uh, in, in Uganda, Ecuador, other places, and I hope you get a chance to spend some time this week with, with these guys. Uh, Al has gone to Kenya for many years, and also Mexico does missions work down there, so these guys that are with me this week, they are, uh, their heart is for missions, their heart is for people to know Jesus all over the world, and uh, I, I think we brought Tennessee's best. <laughs> so I hope you get to know them this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for having us, and uh, we look forward to a wonderful week at baseball camp. And uh, I have to tell you, in 2017, I was in Tollymore doing a camp down there. I'd done some baseball clinics there, and we shared the gospel and uh, with some other things that were going on there, a sport camp. And then I was heading to Belfast. And as I was leaving Tollymore, one of the guys told me, he said, yeah, you got to be careful with them baseball bats up in Belfast. <laughs> he said, they know about baseball bats, but I don't know if they've ever seen a baseball. <laughs> oh, I ran into somebody the other day, and she's like, yeah, my kid's going to come to the camp, and she can even use my bat. <laughs> Bring your own baseball bat to camp this week, right? Um, I'm glad that we're going to be doing the right thing with the baseball bats this week, guys. Pray for us. Uh, let's read our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul refers to as the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us who believe the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of life this morning. That these words on these pages are they're not just empty words. It's not just ink and paper. God, this word is living. It's alive. We pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Through your word, speak to our conscience. Holy Spirit, help us to hear what you need us to hear from your word. Be our counselor, our comforter, even our convictor in places where we need conviction. God, help us to respond rightly to all that it is that you speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about this idea of the ministry of reconciliation and the role that it plays in the life of every Christian or should play in the role of every Christian. I'm so thankful that uh, this week we get to stay with the Starus Foundation. We're being housed there at the residence and what beautiful life-giving conversations we've already had, testimonies that I've heard of redemption and healing and recovery it's been so awesome also to, to learn that Starus has now also an extension or arm of their ministry in Baltimore, Maryland, which is where I grew up. And I was joking with them the other day. I said, boy, I wish Starus was back there when I was growing up because it would have spared me a lot of hardship probably because all I knew growing up in, in Baltimore, Maryland as a youngster was uh, domestic violence, uh, alcoholism all around, drug addiction, uh, there was nothing Christian about my upbringing at all in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I, I remember, you know, when I got saved, I was 16 years old, and I was locked up in a, in a youth detention center as a juvenile delinquent. And I had spent my entire 16 years, first 16 years of my life, feeling like God was just not there. And even if he existed, he didn't care about me, about Jimmy Larsh. And I can look back and remember before I got saved, I, uh, growing up in a, a single, uh, single parent home and an apartment complex where a bus would come through. Maybe you have that here. Maybe your bus goes through and picks up some of the children and brings them to church. Well, there was a couple of times that I would get on the bus and, and would come to church, would come to Sunday school. Not very often, but sometimes I would. And I remember leaving church one Sunday morning and uh, there was a Bible on the bus. My sister was on the bus. We started fighting and arguing, and I just reached for that Bible. And I grabbed that Bible. I don't even know whose it was. Grabbed that Bible, and I threw it across the bus trying to hit my sister in the head. She ducked. It missed her. But I want to tell you something. In that moment, it was like the, all of the air was sucked out of that vehicle. And it was just complete, utter silence. And everybody on that bus, including the kids and the bus driver, just looked at me like I was cursed, throwing a Bible across the bus. And I want to tell you the truth. I felt in that moment like I was cursed. I was probably only eight or nine years old, but I carried that with me for a long time. I played baseball as a youngster. I would go to the baseball games, and I would see all of my teammates. You know, they would all have mothers and fathers would show up and watch the game, and my daddy was never around uh, so I, I was fatherless. I didn't understand that. And just very confused growing up. And then when I was 12 years old, my father, who had never been there, came back into my life. And my mother and him remarried, and all hell broke loose in my life at that time. My father was terribly abusive. He was destructive. Uh, 
basically broke down every sense of dignity and self-esteem that I had for the next couple of years in my adolescence. I began to run away from home and uh, I hitchhiked twice at 14 and 15 years old across the country over a thousand miles each time. Uh, once ending up in a psychiatric hospital, another time in a, in a foster home. And then eventually I just felt like life was over and there was no more purpose. I didn't have a living hope. And I remember sitting down one day and uh, went for all of, all of the medicine bottles in, in the cabinet. And like I said, my family had a lot, of, a lot of drugs, including prescription medication that many of them were addicted to. And I just began to take, swallow all these pills, every pill that I could find, over 100 pills. The doctor said I took enough to kill 10 people. And I overdosed that day. And all I can remember, uh, I'm 15 years old, all I can remember is the medics coming in and putting me, you know, on this stretcher, wheeling me into the ambulance and taking me onto the hospital for the next four days. I don't even remember. I was in intensive care unit. And I remember when I began to sober up, my mom had flown up from Florida and she was sitting at the edge of my bed. And she, when, when I could understand what she was saying, she said to me, she said, Jimmy, please don't ever put me through this again. And I realized for the first time in my life that I, had I been successful in taking my life, that someone would have hurt. Even as lonely as I felt and as broken and cursed as my life seemed, I knew on that day that had I successfully committed suicide, I would have caused someone else pain. And I made an agreement with, with, with my mother that day. I said, no matter how bad it ever gets, I'm never going to try to do that again. I'm never going to try to take my life again. I promised her that. And it was a year later when I ended up getting incarcerated and I'm locked up and uh, a, a visiting preacher came in and, and shared the gospel and he preached from Luke chapter 15 and talked about the prodigal son. And I saw myself, Jimmy Lars, 16-year-old teenage boy, as that prodigal son not just running away from an abusive father, earthly father, but I saw myself as running and fleeing from a perfect heavenly father that had a purpose and plan for my life, and I, and I was broke. And I got down on my knees, September 1987, and I humbled myself before Almighty God, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm 51 years old today. I have never lived a day to regret surrendering my life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is alive today, church. He is alive. And, and, and I want to say this morning that I have learned over the course of my relationship with God over the last 30 plus years that God will never waste our pain. God doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't just throw it to the curb. He doesn't just cover it up. God takes our pain and he redeems it and he turns it into something that is of a ministry to someone else down the road. You may not see it right now. You may not understand why you're going through what you're going through right now. But at some point, God's going to take that pain. God's going to take that, that suffering and everything that you go through. And he's going to redeem it into something that is useful to his purposes in this right here reconciliation reconciliation with the father reconciliation to Jesus and then turning that into a ministry of reconciliation where you can be an ambassador for the grace and the goodness and the hope of Jesus amen God gave us a vision when my wife and I got married and uh, in my 20s God gave us a vision to go into juvenile detention centers and start sharing the hope and I remember when I was 16 years old after I had gotten saved and left the juvie center I looked back and I said I'm never going back to that place ever again 
God was laughing, I'm sure. <laughs> Never going back. And when I was 18, they started inviting me back. Come share your story. We, we are, th these young people need to hear that there, there is a way out. And I started going back in reluctantly. And then eventually God called my wife and I into ministry. And we would go every Saturday night and we would set up an old 16 millimeter film projector and start showing these gospel films and then sharing the word of God and the gospel afterwards. And then just seeing testimony after testimony after testimony of changed lives and walking with young people for years and then serving their families. Uh, that evolved into a ministry serving children of inmates. And today in East Tennessee, we have a ministry that pr provides camps and adventure programs and mentoring solutions for some of the most at-risk young people in East Tennessee. God took my pain from my childhood and he turned it into something now that is bringing reconciliation to a lot of kids in this generation who need hope. Through our sports ministries, we've now served in 11 countries and growing. It's beautiful. And some of you guys from Belfast, maybe you can go with us to another country and, and participate in some of our outreaches. And God is just doing an amazing thing. And I am a testament today, a living testimony that he is alive and that he can take everything that we thought was of a waste in our life and he turns it into something good. Romans 8, 28, he works all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And I praise him for it. That's my testimony in a nutshell. And when I think about my testimony, I think about the Apostle Paul and what he wrote right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys still with me there? Say this with me, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're talking about this morning. And when you think about the life of Paul, could there be, could there be a better portrait of a life that was so hostile towards Jesus that God totally flipped, transformed Turn this man into a new creation, was Saul, said, no longer are you going to be Saul, now you're going to be Paul, I'm going to shut your eyes for a few days until you really see what life is all about, and then I'm going to so control you and compel you, or in some translations, constrain you, that this is all you know is being possessed by Jesus. The one that you hated, the one that you were persecuting his followers, until that Damascus Road experience in the book of Acts. And then everything changed for Paul. It was a complete 180. And here he is after the Damascus Road and after all these years of ministry and reaching out to other people, sharing the gospel, he's talking about this ministry of reconciliation. I think Paul must have sat back one day and realized that there was a lot of things that God needed to reconcile from his past. That there was a lot of hurt. That there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of injury that Paul, formerly Saul, had brought upon other people. And God needed to reconcile that. And I, I, I think about this idea of reconciliation, how, you know, oftentimes in our world we think that certain things are for like the deluxe version of Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? It's like people who are really, really sold out to God, that's for them. But that's not for all Christians. That's not the standard version. That's the deluxe version. Love your enemies? That can't be the standard version of Christianity. That's got to be the deluxe. You know, just a few people in a corner, somewhere, remote part of the earth who actually do that? Love your enemies? 
pray for those who persecute you? Who does that? I believe that Paul is thinking that this is for everyone who follows the name of Jesus Christ. This is not a deluxe version, this idea of reconciliation. Listen, this is, this is the standard version of Jesus in the gospel. You know, I was getting on the plane the other day from Amsterdam coming to Belfast. I got on that plane and, and sat down, and right in front of me, there was a couple coming down. They had just a little boy, and he was already fired up. I mean, he was bouncing, you know, coming down the aisles and grabbing stuff and all this stuff. And I don't know, here's your seat. So, you know, they got him in the seat right in front of me. You know, he's like right here. And, and then they pulled out the sugar. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun plane ride. Uh, at least it's not the seven hour. It's only the one hour one, right? And it's the, the kinder eggs, right? I, I think Roy was talking about the kinder eggs at breakfast. But the kinder, that's the, that comes from Germans, right? The, the kinder, the German chocolate kinder eggs. Whew, that's good stuff right there. But this was, this was a special one. You know, maybe you've seen this where it's got the, the surprise in it. See, I call it special because in America, we don't get the surprises inside. This is what, this, Americans have lied to us. <laughs> From what I understand, the standard, the standard chocolate egg has a prize in it. Is that, is that right? Uh, we've been lied to all these years. Our children have been robbed in America. They get chocolate eggs without something in the middle. And the father sat this boy down, put him in his seatbelt, and brought in the kinder eggs. And it said, surprise in each egg. I, I kid you not. The kid, he, he was ready for the chocolate. The dad was ready for the prize. <laughs> He sat him down, what's it going to be? And he pulled the prizes out, and they're little toys, and he, the dad started playing with the toys and getting all excited. And I thought, wow, what a picture. This is the standard, but in America, we've been led to believe that that's some deluxe version of Kinder chocolate eggs. What, imagine this. If, if Paul and the other apostles, early church followers, uh, were, were to visit us today, and crack open the egg of our lives and look inside. Think about this. Would they find the standard? Would they find what Paul says, this is God's idea for every believer to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation? Or have some bought into the facade that this is just for some deluxe Christians? You know, those missionaries who really sell everything and get radical and go and do crazy stuff. Or is this for Belfast? Is this for Tennessee? Is this for New York? Is this for the whole world? Believers everywhere. So the first thing I want to point out this morning is the idea of the constraint of reconciliation. Look at verse 11. Look what Paul says here. The constraint of reconciliation. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? Persuade others. See, what we know about God affects how we relate to others. Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord. There, there was something that Paul understood in his relationship with God that caused him to long for 
this ministry of reconciliation, this idea of being an ambassador of Christ, God making his appeal through us to persuade others of the good news of Jesus Christ. What we know about God affects how we relate to others. Listen, this word persuade in the original New Testament language, it literally means this, to induce one by words to believe. To induce one by words to believe in the original language. Now, maybe you've heard this. It's been all over social media. It's kind of cute. I think I may have even tweeted this a time or two. I don't know. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary... Use words. Now, I get the sentiment behind that, 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 that our, our works and our actions, right, they should scream of the love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. Everything that we do as believers should demonstrate the gospel. I get that. I understand the sentiment behind that. But in this passage right here, the word persuade, it literally means to use words to communicate with others this idea of the gospel, this idea of being reconciled to God. This is not something that we can just look at and say, well, I'm just going to live my life and everybody's going to see my good works and I never have to talk about God because, you know, talking about God in this society is not going to end up well. But if I can just show love... And I'm afraid that that's becoming the posture of so many believers today in fear of being persecuted. We're not going to talk about Jesus because of our timidity. We're just going to show love to the world. Paul's idea here, the literal translation in the New Testament, is we will use our words to reason with others, reason with them. Of, about what it means to be saved and to be this new creation in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying it is absolutely necessary to use your words. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, If we are beside ourselves, it is for who? It's for God. Anybody got another translation? Uh, to be beside yourself? That means to be a little, little loco. And would they say it that way in Mexico, Pastor Al? A little, little, out of our mind. We're a little loco, a little crazy. It, it, Paul is saying, look, if I'm crazy, if you think, like, I'm a madman, well, that's for God's sake. But if, if I come across as normal to you, that's for you. In other words, there may be a little bit of conformity going on to people instead of living recklessly abandoned to God. Beside ourselves, to be beside oneself describes a kind of madness or crazy that seems irrational to others. You ever had somebody else say, boy, I tell you what, your life just seems crazy. That Jesus stuff, that religion stuff. I remember my mom when I first got out of being locked up as a teenager, you know, and I came home sharing the gospel and telling my mom my life was transformed. I can't even explain to you or describe to you the peace that I have in my heart right now. And my mama said, oh boy, my son got jailhouse religion. That's all. Just, he just got a little weird. He got locked up, got persuaded by a few people. This thing's going to pass. This too will pass, right? And uh, years and years and years I prayed for mama. 
It wasn't until about 12 years ago that Mama finally gave her life to Jesus Christ, and I had the privilege of being able to baptize my mom in 2011. Today, she is on fire for God. She just flew back from uh, Oklahoma to Florida, and she called me the day before I left and told me all about the conference that she was in and all that God is doing in her life. It took years for Mama to finally get saved, for God to answer my prayers concerning that. But I remember when I first became a Christian, Mama thought her son had gone a little loco, a little crazy. Listen, I, I saw a woman not too long ago sit in a courtroom in America facing her daughter's killer and extending forgiveness to this man. It was on TV. Who does that? Immediately you ask yourself, would I be able to do that? I, I believe that God would give us the grace to do it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't come from ourselves. Maybe we can in, in our own might or will be able to do it. But, but if we're willing to submit to Jesus, I believe God would grace us supernaturally to be able to do what we never realized we can do. And, and I experienced this for, for myself when I was 18 years old. The first time I got down on my knees and I prayed for my father. The man who had brought the most pain throughout my entire childhood, scars that stayed with me even to this day, the man who hurt me, hurt other family members, my sister, even abused my mother. I remember at 18 years old reading passages like this, how Christians need to forgive. And I remember telling God, I, I can't forgive this man. I, I, I don't have it in me to, for, to forgive this man. I still have all this anger and this hate of what he put me through. And I remember there was just a voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart saying, get on your knees. Get on your knees. I don't need you to do anything that I'm not willing to do for you. I got on my knees. And, and, and I tell you, instantly I, I felt, I sensed the Holy Spirit in my heart releasing something that I never thought that I would be able to release. And I said, God, I forgive this man. And, and, and many tears begin to flow. I forgive this man. He's brought so much hurt, but I forgive this man. And this idea of reconciliation, I knew that God was calling me to somehow try to make peace with him and reach out to him and extend the ministry of reconciliation to him. And I did that, prayed for him. Uh, even well into my 20s, my wife and I, when we got married, we would go and visit him and tried to share the good news with him. My father just got further and further and further away. Five, six marriages, uh, a bunch of half-brothers and sisters all over the country that I don't even know exist from different marriages that he's had. I did everything I could, as Scripture says, make peace. As, 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 far, as much as it depends on you, right, Pastor? As, as much as it depends on you, make peace. But it doesn't mean that just because we extend the ministry of reconciliation that it's going to be reciprocated. But you know what does happen? See, this is why we need to be willing to do it. This is what does happen. Just like that 18-year-old boy who got down on his knees and prayed for, for forgiveness to the Father and, and even having the hope that something's going to be reconciled in our relationship, it did not happen, but something happened in me. Something happened in my life. God healed me. And God turned all of those scars that, that I had from fatherlessness and abuse and all of that. Now when I spend time with these kids at our camps and these children that have experienced so much pain and so much suffering, it's, I can't help but to just feel the weight of their hurt and their pain. But with honesty, I can tell them 
God will give you the forgiveness. Toward the people that have hurt you the most, God can give you the forgiveness if you're willing to get on your knees and pray for them. Listen, that's crazy. That's madness. That's not rational to the world. Uh Uh-uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? They thought Paul was crazy. They also thought Jesus was crazy. Read Mark chapter 3 or John chapter 10. Paul was in pretty good company. Paul, you're out of your mind. Too much study has made you crazy, Festus, a government official said. Kim, ever out there witnessing on the shank on how a politician tell you you're crazy? (laughs) Maybe you're in that company. But look what Paul's answer to this is in verse 14. For what controls us? The, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. One translation says constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Paul is giving imagery here of I am no longer my own. I'm bought with a price. I am controlled by something or namely someone else. This is no longer my life. And that's what it means to be under the control or the constraint of Jesus. The love of Christ compels us. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, the love of Christ had pressed Paul's energies into one force, turned them into one channel, and then driven them forward with a wonderful force till he and his fellows had become a mighty power for good, ever active and energetic. Verse 15, Paul says this, he, Jesus, died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Let me tell you what I find utterly crazy. What I find utterly crazy is that the God of this universe would bankrupt heaven in sending his son into this world, his one and only son, and and to cast all of his fury and all of his wrath and all of his justice on his son so that his son, his innocent son, would absorb all of this wrath so that God is loving. That's the part that the world gets right. The part that the world doesn't get right is that God is just. God is loving, but God is just. Jesus must suffer because something must become of our sin. And Jesus absorbs our sin, takes it to the cross. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. And then it says this in verse 21. Look at this. We see the Christology of reconciliation. This verse is perhaps one of the most important in all of Scripture for understanding the meaning of justice and reconciliation, said one scholar. Look at verse 21. It's what theologians refer to as substitutionary atonement. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now let me illustrate this for you, if I may. What's he going to do with the baseball bat? (laughs) It's here. I love the game of baseball because it teaches us so much about life and some of our kids are going to they're going to hear that this week but in baseball there's this term called the pinch hitter anybody heard of this the pinch hitter 
Okay, good, good. We're learning all together this morning, the pinch hitter. So, Pastor Al, did you ever have a pinch hitter for you? I, I was a better defensive player, so anytime we were on offense, it was like anytime the coach could like get a better hitter than me, he would bring in a pinch hitter. So a pinch hitter in baseball, this is their role. This is their job. What happens is you are facing a pitcher, and some batters have a better, better hitting percentage, a batting average of getting on base or scoring runs offensively. They're better offensive players. So sometimes late in the game, it might be a very critical time in the game, and, and the coach of the team recognizes that the batter is facing a pitcher that he does not have good percentages against at all. Maybe he's faced him in the past, and he swung away and missed the ball many times, and his batting average is very bad. And, and a good coach knows statistics, knows batting averages. He knows the pitchers and the batters and how they match up against one another. And a really good coach in an opportune time in the game will say, batter A... I need you to sit down on the bench. And batter A has to be humble enough and willing enough to take one for the team and say, my pride's not going to be hurt in this because you're taking the bat out of my hands and sits down on the bench and puts the, ba the bat in the hands of somebody else who has a better batting average or better hitting percentages against that particular pitcher. Now, here's the thing I want you to get about this. We get, we get the imagery, right? We get the analogy. Who's our pinch hitter? Who's our pinch hitter? Jesus. See, in the game of baseball, if you're batting about 300, which means if you're up 10 times and you get three hits out of every 10 times, you're a really good baseball player. Even if you struck out seven times, if you struck out seven times out of 10 but got three hits, you're still a good baseball player. That's how batting averages work in baseball. Now imagine this. You're up here and you're batting maybe two, 250. Two hits out of ten, a little bit more. Somebody else steps up. Maybe I'm batting 250. Al, maybe he's batting 350. That, that's a huge difference in the game of baseball, going from 250 to 350. And the coach might say, Al's going to be Jimmy's pinch hitter. So Al steps up. He's got a slightly better batting average than me. But it's very rare that somebody's going to hit 400, which is four hits out of ten. Very rare in the game of baseball. So this is huge. But here's the problem. The Bible says this. It says, all have fallen short. All have struck out. All have missed the mark. Because that's what sin means. Sin literally means to miss the mark. You're facing something, the ball of life, whatever's coming at you, and, and, and you're trying to deal with it. You're going to miss some attempts. But Al can say, well, I'm doing a little bit better than Jimmy. So I'm okay. And a lot of people do this with religion. I'm doing okay. I'm better than that person. I'm better than her. I'm okay. I don't need a pinch hitter. Here's the problem. God says to be in my kingdom, be in my family, go to heaven, you got to bat a thousand. You got to be perfect. Be holy as your father is holy or perfect. Be perfect, right? Jesus steps in as our pinch hitter. Guess what? He, he lived 30-plus years on this planet, never missed the mark. From an immaculate conception, a virgin's birth, conceived, but yet never sinned. Jesus is the only person in human flesh that lived a life on this planet who never sinned. He's the only one that is qualified 
to be your pinch hitter in God's kingdom. Because even if somebody else is hitting 400, God said, you got to bat 1,000. Not good enough. But Jesus steps in. Here's the thing, guys. You've been facing some things maybe in your life, and you've been trying to attack some stuff. You've been trying to hit some stuff. You've been trying to handle some stuff. And that pitcher has owned you. That pitcher has owned you, and it's left you in shame. It's left you in guilt. It's left you in frustration. You've been ready to give up sometimes. And here's what God says. Cast that on me. Let me take this. You give me the bat. You give me reign. You give me control. You take the bench. We have to be willing to humble ourselves. Surrender. Surrender. God, you're in control. You take the bat, my life. I want to tell you something. That devil, when he's pitching, and Jesus steps up to the plate for you, he's not a happy pitcher. But he loves to see you sitting there and trying to swing away on your own. But the moment you give that bat up, Jesus takes that bat and he steps into the batter's box. Satan says, oh no, I lost another one. Jesus is our atonement. He is our pinch hitter in life. He is perfect in every way. We are flawed, we are broken, and we will fail. But that's why God says over and over and over and over again, give it up, control, give it to me. Let me ask you this question as we close this morning. What will it look like in your life? What will it look like this week for you to live with this idea of being an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation? What if you woke up tomorrow, you looked in that mirror and you said, there is a child of God and you said, God wants to make his appeal through me to others in this ministry of reconciliation. What's that going to look like in your relationships, your interactions with others? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning, your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us on the cross as our pinch hitter shedding his blood innocently, innocent blood that was shed and given up so that we can be reconciled to you and ransomed. Father, we love you and we thank you for this great gift that you have bestowed. And Romans chapter 5 tells us that at just the right time, opportune time, you sent Jesus to die for us on that cross. It wasn't too soon. It wasn't too late. It was just at the right time you called forth your son to take that bat out of our hands and to face an enemy that we could never face on our own. God, if there's anybody here this morning struggling to find their way in this idea of being reconciled with you, I pray that this would be their moment. This would be their morning God, to realize that you want to give them so much more than they ever imagined. You want to make a new creation out of them. Old passes away and all things become new. You want to settle that in their, in their heart this morning. I pray that there would be no pride. I pray that there would be no stubbornness, no resistance. But even, even this morning, that perhaps that one would say, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to surrender. 
give my will, my life to my creator and be reconciled to God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus. God, help us by the Holy Spirit to take action this morning, each and every one of us, however you have spoken to us through your word, to act upon that in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that amazing, church? Amen. If you don't like to stand to your feet, let's just close our service at the time of praise and worship. And how I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity.
Church, let's just close in a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for this team that have joined us this morning. We thank you for this message that you've spoken so clearly to us this morning. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us, God, that you would challenge us and encourage us this morning. Thank you for this word that has built us up, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we would each make that decision. Lord, do not live half-heartedly for you, Lord, but to give our whole lives over to you, Lord, to devote our lives to you, to honor you with our lives, God. Lord, to lay all at your feet and trust you with everything that we have, Lord. Lord, we just thank you again and just take us to your homes in safety until we meet again in Jesus' name. Amen.